1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Oof. All right. Oof. We got a great show plan, right? We're going to, you know, drop into some interesting facts, challenge ourselves. As always, we're going to start by examining ourselves and then examine others, um, got a lot of interesting things to talk about. The first thing I was going to open the show talking about is uh, summer's winding down, but we're still in it. Got a few holidays coming. And um, I was looking at some work on just bringing us back to um, destructive habits to eliminate. Now, the entry point is around our relationship with our bodies. But again, I'm going to let you see how we can translate it into uh, perspectives and things we need to eliminate around other topics. Because Sometimes we are our worst enemy. And sometimes, as they say, the call is coming from inside the house, which means the perpetrator, you know, the violence, the abuser is us against ourselves. That it's not even the world, right? We are in the world. So what's going on in the world matters. But sometimes the work is with ourselves. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, depends. Sometimes it's a good thing because you can focus on, right, and make some changes and different choices. Um, but depending on how deeply rooted or longstanding these patterns or habits are, that could make it maybe more difficult where maybe you wish it was some easier thing about removing yourself from a social network or relocating or whatever it might be, or you know, resolving a relationship with someone. So it kind of depends on where you land in reference to yourself. But again, we're looking at destructive habits to eliminate. Now, I talk a lot about the impact of media and social media on our mental health, because that's something we're starting to talk more and more about. You know, when I was in school, we didn't have it, (laughs) funny enough, so it wasn't a topic of any kind of conversation. And I think it's now slowly making its way into programs that focus on uh, sexology, human sexuality, psychology, sociology, cultural anthropology because media and social media are really powerful socializing tools and vehicles. They're technologies, technologies of normalizing, um, ideas, politics, and standards. And why is that good and bad? Well, it's good because if we use the technology in an effective, right, self-enhancing way, what a, what a great additional resource. But, If we're using social media to perpetuate and strengthen and sell ideals and norms and values that are not mental health-centered, aren't trauma-informed, then it's actually keeping a very dangerous, toxic ball in the air, as they say, right? And so social media, and again, I was talking this a long time ago about how on the iPhone, it'll tell you how long you spent on your phone. That is a powerful reminder of the gravity, weight, an impact that this thing in our hand has on us and our television and other things. Because remember, your phone's only going to tell you how long you've been on your phone, but how long might you have spent watching television or on the internet? I used to be able to talk about magazines. We don't, I don't see those at people's homes anymore. I don't see people reading them. There was a time though when that was really other than television commercials or billboards, the only other way that these norms and ideals kind of seeped seeped into our mind. Now, so I'm talking specifically, again, the entry point of uh, our relationship to our bodies. You know, the kind of body we have, learning how to neutralize our thoughts about our bodies or working on some body positivity. But again, this also impacts mental health in general. Let's look at relational health. You know, you're, you're reading stories and articles that are giving tips and tricks, but you're also watching television shows that are reinforcing certain narratives or dismantling them. And so what happens is, this time, especially swiping on our phones, it leads to destructive comparisons. What are they doing? What am I doing? And when you see something on television or on social media, it's given a power. It shouldn't be given. Just because someone with a lot of followers or someone famous is doing something, that doesn't mean it's the right way. And I see that all the time where celebrities are talking about things they do in their relationships or in their parenting. And I'm thinking that is horrible. That's absolutely horrible. And That is a bad role model for us, but also this comparison leads to a sense of inadequacy, right? And that's why we talk about mental health, about building a world around you that reflects back who you are and the parts of yourself that are important or need healing. So social media can be good for your mental health if you curate it appropriately and really have a handle on it, or it can be very toxic. And so we're learning to love our bodies. We have to pay attention to the kind of bodies we're seeing constantly. If we're learning to have better relationships, we really want to be critical and dissect the norms we're seeing play out on television. And you'll see a lot of articles on shows like The Bachelorette, which I can't watch, I can't sit through that. Um, And you'll see people behaving in ways that are toxic forms of monogamy or forms of emotional abuse that are sadly getting normalized because you're seeing it and maybe you do it, but no one's saying don't do that, no one's saying be better, no one's saying there's another way or a better way, and so it becomes normalized. So social media is a really important one. Another one specifically we're talking about weight is weighing yourself. It keeps yourself trapped. It keeps yourself in a mindset. And some people weigh themselves daily. And that reinforces the belief that weight matters or that your weight is your worth. People also do body checks where they're looking at their cells and checking themselves. I see it at the gym all the time, right? So it keeps you trapped in that mindset and um, really attached your mood to that number on the scale, and again, that shows up in other ways as well, relationships. We see people posting certain kinds of pictures or doing things with their loved ones, their partners or dating, and we start comparing, right? And we start, oh, wait, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back and we'll keep breaking this on down, y'all, so stick around. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around and uh, we'll keep tackling this. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And uh, just kind of breaking down how to uh, really eliminate and get rid of destructive habits. This one really centered around body image, how we see ourselves, but I'm also extending it outside of that. And we are talking about how social media and media will influence. And now we're talking about how some people have scales, get rid of them. Your weight doesn't necessarily in any way dictate your health. It definitely doesn't dictate your self-worth. Um, and I was saying how We might not use a scale to determine our worth to weigh our bodies, but we might sometimes use what's going on in other people's lives as a scale or determinant of how good we should feel about ourselves or what we're doing in our lives. You might be flooded with people on social media, getting married, getting engaged, dating, and you're single and very much wanting that as well. And so you're weighing the worth of your life or yourself or your relationship based on what you're seeing. Maybe they're getting married and you're not. Maybe you're single and they're dating, right? So we want to be very thoughtful about what we're comparing ourselves to, what we're using as our metric, because again, we don't have anything in opposition to that. People aren't posting pictures saying single and happy or in a relationship but not married, but that's cool, right? And so there isn't an even balance to that scale. People understandably lead with, promote, post, and openly discuss successes. That's not an honest scale to weigh yourself. Just like the number on a body weight scale isn't a, a really good number with which to weigh your self-worth or the value of you, your day, your life. So ask yourself, what, what are these metrics? What are the scales, literal or symbolic? Um, other people's experiences, and like I said, social media and all of that become those determinants and we feel inadequate. You have to really kind of burrow yourself into your life and what's possible for you. But bigger than that, right now, we're just kind of looking at these external sources. Um, Another one that comes up for, you know, body image that's in a, a process pattern or habit we need to eliminate is this idea of holding on to clothing that doesn't fit, A lot of anti-diet dieticians and body positive practitioners are always saying, and eating disorder therapists as well, is don't do that. You know, don't hold on to clothing that doesn't fit or once fit, right? If that is what triggers self-hatred. Because instead of saying, what's going on in my life? How do I feel? It's whether or not I can fit in something is going to be the total determinant of how I'm going to feel about myself for my day. Let's use another parallel example. Again, if you are currently single or you're in a relationship that maybe you're realizing isn't right for you and needs to end, but you're constantly holding other people's relationships and trying to use whether or not you can fit into that or that can fit into your life to be a determinant, it is also going to erode at your mental health. Because again, everyone's in a different place in their journey. There are some people that will find love later in life. There's some people that find love and keep it earlier on in their life. But we wanna remember that we are never too old or too young for something. And we wanna be in our journey and be where we're at. You have to be at your own pace. Your milestones are gonna be yours. But again, we'll use other people's milestones just like we'll use those clothes in our closet thinking we need to fit into them to have a happy, successful life. Because if I fit into my skinny jeans, well, that's a good thing. So I'm good, so life is good. That's not true. Just like trying to build a life based on the other lives you're seeing other people live doesn't mean that those are a good fit or a true fit. Or you're holding on to what you did have and thinking you need to somehow fit back into that as as opposed to being open to what's to come, what's next, what might this new person bring into my life. So it's like get rid of old clothes that don't fit. Get rid of old ideas or goals that no longer fit. Stop using a literal scale to weigh yourself to determine your worth or happiness, just like don't use other scales that other people might have. We live in a very consumerist culture. So a lot of us have a scale and the scale isn't one you stand on, it's how much money do you make? How many nice watches do you have? What kind of car do you drive? Are you a homeowner? That's another scale. That's another metric, right? Uh, Interesting story. Long story short, I'm gonna abbreviate this one. Friends of a family that I'm I'm very close with. They moved to the United States from New Zealand, which is an amazing place. Love their prime minister. They've got good stuff going on over there. That's why they really make it difficult to move over there. Um, And these individuals, I think the story went, had been raised in the United States, but at a very young age due to their dad's job, moved to New Zealand, loved it and now as teenagers, I think in 17, 21, I think, and somewhere else in there, there's three of them, come to the United States because uh, their dad's job, and are culture shocked. And when asked, what did you find most difficult or what was most profound, because again, New Zealand is a very, very far away, difficult to get to place. It's very far removed. Yes, they have internet and television and globalization, so they're aware of American ideals and values, but they're very distinct. And the kids said, we were, in shock and still are at how materialistic Americans are. You all are obsessed with what you own and buying things and always upgrading things. And they were like in New Zealand, we're happy with what we have. We have the same things for a very long time. We're not always trying to get new jeans and a new phone and keep up with things. And and we don't, we don't get hung up on what we have or don't have. And they're like, you all care so much. You're always shopping. There's shopping centers everywhere. You're, you're, and I was like, Phew. My point being is I would never want those New Zealanders to, to, to take on our metric or to weigh themselves on our scale. It's horrible. And a lot of the ones, listeners, y'all are using are horrible as well, but we don't know any better. Or those are the ones your friends or family use, so you've stepped into that. But really ask yourself, what metrics or scales am I using to determine my worth, the worth of my body, but also my worth as a person, or a partner, or a human? Whose scale is that? Whose metric is that, that you've adopted? Is it a good one? Is it effective? Because again, the question for anything in our life should be, how does this impact my mental health? And if the answer is not great, get rid of it. The idea you have, the goal you have, the plans you have, the friends you have, the structure you have—we have to keep coming back to that. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking about essentially <laughs> body image stuff. But again, translating and breaking down into an applicable way to you know really eliminate other unhelpful patterns. Wow, that was a mouthful. Stick around; it gets easier. I promise. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Alrighty, we're back. And uh, we're talking about different patterns and habits we need to eliminate. Talking primarily, centering this all in uh, body image, right? We all got a lot of work to do on that one. But then I'm kind of translating and extending and saying how do these principles really apply to our global mental health, relationships, you know, our sense of self and the planet. And uh, we're just really talking about this idea of like metrics and scales. We all have different scales. Some of them are a literal scale where you're weighing your body and that's a toxic habit. Um, or clothes that fit at one time and don't and you're determining your worth or or your mood is determined by that. But we're also talking about how that applies to just general ideas and politics and concepts in our life. Social media, God bless it, a lot to do over there. But this whole idea of comparisons, a big one, Really, really try to identify and notice when you're comparing. We do it all day long. You know, we can just be sitting at a coffee shop and someone walks by, someone who's different from us, right? We can be made immediately to feel less than because they are taller, hotter, we think they have more nice things or they're in a relationship and we're not, whatever it is. Um, and it's fascinating because I work I work with clients that struggle with that. They, we we often move through the world with an idea of who we need to be or how we need to be to be happy, to be dateable, to be desirable. And none of that's real or true. Because if you also pan out, look around the world, your world in a local way, but also more globally, you'll see that there's Tons of virgins outside of this limited idea that you've determined is necessary to be happy. There are people of all shapes and sizes and heights out there living their best life. Let that be profound. Let that impact you. That's why we talk so much about inclusion, right? And <clears throat> amplifying different voices is so that everyone can kind of see themselves. Uh, blown away when we see these memes of a little boy who's a wheelchair user, who's disabled, looking up at in the clothing store at a model who's in a wheelchair in the ad. That is a very powerful healing thing because what is it like if you are disabled and you're looking out in a world and everyone is able-bodied, right? You inherently are going to maybe notice that difference. And when we notice difference, we immediately place it in an evaluative um perspective, right, of like better than or less than. We immediately feel as though we have to put one is better, one is righter, right? One is more correct. That's what comparison is. It's usually an evaluation, a judgment. It's not just noticing difference. It's usually then moved into judgment. Well, which one's better, right? <clears throat> so we're going to compare, but be very thoughtful when you're getting trapped in it or when you're adding an evaluation to it because they're is multiple diverse creative ways of living in the world that are healthy, that are more attuned to who you are or how you think. So, it's, so the point being, when we compare, we're only seeing one perspective. But if we are able to recognize that we're doing that and say, well, let me try to see if I can think of other examples that challenge that or hold space for other possibilities, you will find that. There's multiple roads to everything. We don't all have to look a certain way or live a certain way to get to the place we're trying to get. Um, Labeling. Labeling's another big one, right? We use a lot of unkind words, as I kind of just pointed out, to talk about ourselves, the way we look, what's going on in our life, uh, our relationship, our lack of a certain kind of relationship, and we put these labels. And those labels can be very determining, and those labels can be very limiting when they're not kind. So we have to really listen to the way that we're labeling an experience or a part of ourselves or a goal we have or an experience that we had, right? Mirrors, if we're talking specifically about body, mirrors are another one. How often are you focusing on, in the mirror, the things you don't have? When you walk by a mirror or step into a bathroom, do you immediately zero in on a certain part? Now we can extend that outside of body image. Is there an area of your life that you are obsessed with that any free moment of your time, you drift onto a lack, a lack, something you don't have? Because that's usually what these are all rooted in, things we don't have. It's rare that it's about having too much of something, although that applies, but it's usually about a lack, a lack that we think is there that we perceive more powerfully because we see others that, have, that don't have that lack, right? But we have to check in on that. Are you obsessing? Are you ruminating on that? Because if you're centering that, well, then your whole day and your mood and your ability to be present in your life is going to be impacted by that topic, that lack. So a lot of really good therapy is looking at what is that? What is the center point that you're using to determine your worth and value or the success of something? And you're holding yourself accountable to getting to that to be able to feel confident or okay. You have to dismantle that. That's your obsession. The world's not necessarily even seeing you through that or, asses- or assessing that, but you are, right? Like there's a lot of work in that and that can apply to a lot of different topics. Let's talk about job. Is there one job or one role within that job or someone specific job that you've, det- that you've decided arbitrarily is a sign of success or absolutely what you must have? Well, think about what it feels like then when you see the person who has that job or you're constantly being reminded that that job isn't available for you or to you for whatever reason what does that do to your mood? What does that do to your sense of going out and having fun that weekend? Right? It's like, we really obsess on these, on these core pieces, really start to ask yourself, like, what are the determinants I've set up arbitrarily to decide whether or not my day is meaningful? I'm meaningful. My life is meaningful. And then how can we challenge that? We got to take a break and we're going to glide into those DMS and, uh, yeah, stick around y'all You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
2: DMs are always from our Loveline IG page. Got a question for us, or topic you want covered? Drop it on in there. Y'all know the, y'all know the game. All right. Uh, oh wow, we've got a, we've uh, got an, a COVID question. Vaccination. A lot of these are coming in, but a lot of these are coming into my clinical practice as well. Even people that generally aren't really kind of struggling in this issue. It's still the balls in the air. All right. This one says, "Hey, Dr. Chris." My name is Rachel. I'm feeling a lot of added pressure at work. Every other email is an email about other people needing to get the vaccine. If everyone in the office got it, Uh, we wouldn't have to really worry about all these extra precautions. Well, you would because of breakthrough infections and being asymptomatic and passing along to someone who's immunocompromised, unable to get vaccinated or even vaccinated. I'm working with and know people that have had breakthrough infections and it's not a joke. They're they're miserable and it can have long-lasting effects. I think we're undervaluing what can happen with a breakthrough infection and also passing it along to someone who's unvaccinated, which is what can happen. And I'm, again, knowing people directly and working with people who have passed away as a result of not being vaccinated. So we aren't in the clean and clear. And I wanna make that known because I think we're a little too confident in vaccinations being a cure-all. It's important to do that, but we then still have to take precautions. So I I need to say that. I'm seeing people say, well, I'm vaccinated, so I'm good. And it's like, I'm sorry. No, not only can you you get a breakthrough infection, but you can still pass it along to others and not know because you're asymptomatic. And sorry to scare y'all, there are people that are lying. Uh, there are people that know they've been in contact and infected and are not doing anything or getting tested. There are people that are buying false negative tests. So it's not just about everyone getting vaccinated. It's, it's, it's worse than that. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. It's scarier than that. I'm a public health professional. Y'all need to know that. That's why I'm still working completely from home. I have to model what should be happening. We are, it is not safe to go back to the office. I'm sorry. It is not safe to go to the office and it is not safe to go back to school. As a public health professional, I'm looking out for everyone's welfare. I'm not looking out for economics and the continuation of structures and institutions. I'm looking out for people to do otherwise is sociopathic. People's health has to be our primary focal point. It is not. Not safe to be at the office or at school and it's proven by this you're at work getting emails about people who are or are not vaccinated and people are lying and and showing fake negatives it is not safe at all and working from home has showed us we can all work from home going to school from home has showed us we can go to school from home I am aware of teachers that do not feel safe going in because their school system does not have adequate uh, vaccination records or air filtering systems right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're being told you have no remote learning option. What is going on? What are you prioritizing in that example? Clearly not people, clearly not people. You are actually centering the continuation of an institution or a system. You're putting systems and institutions and economics before people, um, period, end of story. And your, your question shows why this isn't working. Uh, it's very frustrating for me working in the healthcare field saying that. Anyway, if everyone in the office got the vaccination, we wouldn't really have to worry about all these. That's not true. Um, I have mine. Awesome. That doesn't mean you're safe. It just means that vaccinations are the, the move. I agree. I'm full vaccination supportive, but they are not 100% effective, right? And you're feeling frustrated You say that your coworkers don't have it. Yo, join the club. I'm with you on that. Your question says, is this added pressure? Is this added pressure justified or do I need to find a way to let it go? No, don't let it go. Make it known. Put that back in the email blast. I personally don't feel safe knowing that people that are working here are not vaccinated and maybe even say we shouldn't even be here. This isn't safe. We can work from home. Every industry had to work from home for very for long, ter- long many, many, many months and all was well. So advocate for yourself. Be honest, I don't feel safe. Be honest, it isn't safe. Pass around some of the research and the studies showing that it's not safe. <laughs> Pass around the numbers. We just had a highest number again today. I saw it on the news. We're doing email blasts with all the stats. Things aren't going well, hospitals are overloaded again. That is not a sign that we should be going back to public gatherings or public workspaces. Look at the numbers and the science. The science should be guiding us, not, not power, not control, not economics. I'm, I'm completely burnt out on this. And it makes me burnt out on our cultural norms. We don't value people. We value money and institutions, and it's disgusting and it's sociopathic. And this is just an example of that. You should all be at home safely. Period. End of story. Anyone pushing for anything else is not being mental health or health-centered or people-centered. I'm sorry. I'm so bothered by this. Let's take a break. (laughs) I need a break. All right, we'll be back talking about emotional blackmail. listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all. We are back, and uh, we're going to be talking about, ready for this one? It's a big, powerful word, emotional blackmail. Now, when we traditionally talk about blackmail, right, we're talking about someone who has information, dangerous, damaging information about us, and they say, hey, if you don't do what I want, which is usually give me money or something, then I'm going to leak this, right? So, t- so what they're really doing is they are using information that they have about you to gain power and control and benefit, right? So it's a it's a control and power tactic. But and I'm sure people start to identify this in their lives when I go deeper into the topic of emotional blackmail, people are gonna realize, wow, we can also use emotions and psychology and relationships to blackmail people. We're not trying to gain money, but we are trying to gain power and control within the relationship, and it can happen romantically. Now, as always, before we start diagnosing everyone, because we don't ever wanna do that, unless you're a licensed therapist, please don't move through the world diagnosing everyone. Um, We're trying to first learn about ourselves. So I want you to start by saying, do I emotionally blackmail? Maybe not I meet the full criteria of some of these definitions, but do I do this in small ways? Because again, listeners, I want us to all say, well, we want to be healthy. And mental health is us realizing and and looking at how we impact others. We want people's lives to be better because we're in them, right? Not making people's lives harder. And as always, if we realize us being in someone's life has made their life harder, more difficult, or more complex, we have healing to do. And maybe we can do it while in the relationship with them, or maybe we need to remove ourselves from the relationship or dating altogether if we are constantly hurting people. I even said that with ghosting. If you're not willing to acknowledge or end a relationship that you started, you're not healthy enough to be dating. You're hurting people. Ghosting hurts people. If you are not willing to send them a message in response to them reaching out again, saying, hey, it was great to meet you, but I, I don't feel the chemistry, then please stop dating. Because if a human being follows up with you, you have a responsibility to respond. If they never follow up and you never follow up, Okay, you found a gray area. You're good because maybe your non-communication was clear. Maybe they're not interested. I do think it's a good idea to still reach out if you've been dating someone and not interested. But even if you've only gone out once or you've only texted once, if someone reaches back out saying, hey, how are you? Are you interested? Can I see you again? The minute you get a message from them, you do have a responsibility. and You have to say something back you do. Otherwise, please take a break from dating because you're hurting people. You're making them worse off and heal because you might think that's a small thing or it's a thing everyone does. You're right. Everyone does do it. And we have to get better than that because it harms people. People are confused. They're let down. They don't understand because we're not willing to be what? Loving, compassionate, assertive, honest. And so there's a lot in there. So we're going to talk about, like I said, emotional blackmail. This is, you know, a, a, um, more of a pipe, uh, a more of a pop psychological concept. This isn't an actual diagnostic um, diagnostic, diagnosis. I don't even know how to say that. This is not actually something that's in the diagnostic manual, but that doesn't matter, right? So it's basically about being in a relationship with someone who's a manipulator. And some of these concepts might be familiar to you because some of them come out of the basic, the literal handbook and writings of people that are pickup artists and the whole pickup artist world is not about finding an honest, healthy adult relationship. It's not about growth, so there's nothing developmental in it. Pickup artists are about learning how to manipulate other people. Instead of working on how we can have confidence and self-worth and build an honest relationship, I'm gonna just maintain my low self-worth and all of that, and I'm just gonna find tips and tricks to make other people feel bad and break them down so as to be able to get my in. That is offensive. That's violent. That's dangerous. That's not how this goes. Um, So let's talk about some of the really popular topics, and then we'll kind of drop down a little bit deeper. But again, remember, you know, emotional blackmail, I want you to identify if you do versions of this, is, again, really rooted in trying to get our way or being with someone who's trying to get their way, power and control um, by guilting us, uh, by making us feel bad, by capitalizing on weak points in our emotional health that they're aware of. Um, And basically in such relationships, what happens if you're on the victim end of it all, is you keep focusing on the other person's needs all the time at the expense of your own because it kind of set up that dynamic where through their emotional tactics, they make you feel bad to let them down. They make you feel bad telling them no. They make you feel bad when you set a boundary. So if you're always feeling that way, AKA that you're walking on eggshells around them or when you have to discuss something with them, you you're probably with someone who's a little bit of an emotional blackmailer, right? Because healthy relationships, we don't feel like we're walking on eggshells. So again, if you feel like you're walking on eggshells with someone, this might be them. If you think people often feel like they're walking on eggshells with you or they say that, then you are doing this to them because we want to create dynamics where people can safely share with us what they're thinking, feeling, and needing, and we want to be approachable. If we're not approachable, people won't approach. I say to parents all the time, why does your kid lie to you all the time? Because you're not approachable. You're not safe. You get dysregulated. You're mean. You're angry. You're not calm. That's why they don't go to you. Calm down, you know? So... Um, emotional blackmail is a powerful form of manipulation, right? In which people close to us directly, indirectly threaten or punish us to get what they want. Right. Just like someone who does blackmailing in a criminal way with information, they might threaten to use the knowledge to ruin your reputation or whatever it is, um, but emotional blackmail is with the people that we value that are close to us. So it's about them wanting our compliance because they feel so out of control. They feel so disempowered that the only way they can feel empowered and safe is to always be controlled and have everything centered around them. So we're gonna take a break and when we come back, we're gonna break down um, what the exact types are and how that operates, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Lady Gaga's Jazz and Piano Las Vegas residency returns to Park MGM October 14th through the 31st. Go to wearechannelq.com for your chance to win two tickets, a hotel stay at Park MGM, round-trip airfare for two, plus $500 in spending money. Tickets are on sale now at ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Lady Gaga's Jazz and Piano residency shows Las Vegas. We'll be right back with more Loveline. All right, we're back and uh, uh, breaking down essentially emotional abuse, emotional violence. We're calling it emotional blackmail, but that again is when you're in a relationship with someone or you are someone who threatens and manipulates to always feel controlled and to feel empowered and to get your way. You don't operate in a healthier way, which is what we call mutuality. Everyone's needs are equally as important. Everyone's needs matter. Everyone has an equal amount of power. No one feels like they're walking on eggshells because in a healthy adult because in healthy adult relationships, we never use concepts like, I'm afraid of my partner, or my partner will be upset if I. There's no fear, there's no eggshells. If we let them down, we're like, hey, honey, you're gonna be bummed out, I let you down, I did this thing, and they're like, oh man, that stinks. Oh, what a bummer, but okay, how can we make sure it happens again next time, right? Or doesn't happen again next time, or whatever the request was. Like it's loving, it's safe, we can express emotions, but no one's punishing, no one's harming, right? No one's violent. That's what it should sound like. This group is very different. So what are the symptoms? Because it's a cycle. And this also very much mirrors the cycle of abuse because emotional blackmail is emotional abuse. So there'll be a demand. The partner or you, depending, wants something, right? Um, sometimes a blackmailer themselves, you or this other person doesn't always verbalize clearly. Maybe they assume we're going to figure it out, but there's a need, there's a demand and they're not used to getting their needs met. And so they always feel like they have to use some tactic to get that need met. They don't trust that if they just go to someone and say, Hey, it would mean a lot to me if you could help me with this, or it'd mean a lot to me if, you know, you blah, 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 blah. They feel like they have to go to control. And so ask yourself, like, am I that person or am I in a relationship with that person? Then the next step is there's a little bit maybe pushback or resistance because the other person as a healthy adult realizes that's not a good move for me or I don't agree with that. Then the emotional blackmailer, a.k.a. emotional abuser, starts to apply pressure, right? I'm gonna, I'm going to force them. I'm going to try to change their mind. There's no empathy. There's no compassion. There's no mutuality. Some of this is very gendered where you'll see a lot of men taking this from the assertive role, where they think their needs matter more or most. You'll also, you'll also see this in sex, where maybe the male partner or the female partner uh, thinks sex is about them and then they get off and they don't care if you get off. Like we're, you know, we're dealing with someone very emotionally unsafe. So the pressure happens, right? And then the threats begin. Right. Once that resistance happens and they don't have any better communication skills, they're not able to be vulnerable and explain or express why it means to them that you do this thing or whatever we're talking about. So they start to pull in the tactics, right? They, they start to basically say indirectly or directly, there's gonna be consequences. Um, and then we maintain the cycle, right? So when we're talking about emotional blackmail, we're automatically talking about conflict, power, and rights. And a lot of this you can assess from the beginning. Like That's why I say to people, everything matters. It matters the minute you make contact on an app, or out in the real world, or on the phone. You'll automatically start seeing, does this person make everything about them? Are they willing to put themselves out for me? What happens when I let them down, or tell them no, or set a boundary? Do they accept it, or do they push back on it? Do they make me feel bad? They wanted to see you Friday night. You can't, because you're spending time with your friend. And then they say, oh, I guess you don't really love me. Bam, we're moving into emotional blackmail, emotional manipulation. They're using your love for them as a tactic to make you feel bad to do what they want you to do because they don't know how to hear no. They don't know how to go, wow, I love you and I want you to feel good and have a happy life and I want my presence in your life to make it better. So Friday night, you're going to go see your friend. Oh my God, have a great time. Sounds fun. Sounds like you'd be happy. I'm happy when you're happy. Have a great time. And then the next day they don't punish you and they're like, tell me about your night and they're excited for you. That's how it should sound. So what do they often do instead? Well, first off is we've heard this word because it's like slung around all over the place, gaslighting. Gaslighting is a manipulation tactic where the person tries to gain power control by making you question your reality or your version of things, right? And it only works if a victim's aware of what's going on because once you're aware of the pattern, it's easier to push back on that right? So gaslighting, Someone trying to gaslight you if they tell lies about you, they deny what you said or didn't say, they make you question your own reality, they wear you down over time, they try to confuse you, but basically they're trying to win and they're trying to be right. If you're in a relationship with someone who never admits to being wrong, never admits to maybe having misunderstood, never says you're right, but they're always trying to win, they're always trying to be correct, you might be with someone who's using a tactic of emotional manipulation um, or emotional blackmail. And again, these fall under red flags. Red flags are not deal breakers. Red flags are things that we explore and get more information around to decide if they should be deal breakers or to decide if they go into the other bucket of just it's an annoyance, it's, pet, it's a pet peeve, it's not ideal, frustrates me, but you know, people are gonna do those things and I have to learn how to live with that. The red, the red flags are in the middle between you know annoyances and frustrations we have to learn how to deal with because this is a human and the other side of red flags is that's a deal breaker. Some things are automatic deal breakers and some things are just truly in the pet peeve box but red flags are where the things are that like, uh-oh, I have to pay attention and get more information and um, gaslighting is one of those. Love bombing is another one and this is part of the abuse cycle. Love bombing means and it's a manipulation tactic, it's a way to get control. Someone lets you down, someone frustrates you, someone harms you and then they swoop in and do the opposite to confuse you. So I might've just slapped you, which is a total deal breaker and you should have dumped me, never seen me again. But the next day I'm going to show up with flowers and a card and profess my love to you. And that's how I trap you because When things are really, really, really great, it's easy to ignore when they're also really, really, really bad. If things are always bad, it's easy to be like, it's always bad. When things are always bad and sometimes okay, it's still really easy to be like, eh, it's bad. But they trap you by making the greats really great, and that's what confuses you. Because yes, the bads are bad, but when it's good, it's so good. That's the trap. All right, take a break. We're going to keep talking about emotional blackmail. Listening to Loveline. Oh, actually, before I go, though, DMs always open over at... um, love line, follow us back, drop your questions in there, whatever they might be here to help. And a topic you want me to cover again or drop deeper into, let me know. Cause sometimes you guys will slide in my DMS asking questions. I don't really answer them in my DMS busy guy. You know what I mean? When I'm in my downtime, I'm in my downtime, but send them into the show love line DM box. Let us know, Hey, can Dr. Chris go over that point again, hit it again, share articles you want covered. I don't mind that. Alex, uh, our producer, will let me know. Send an article. Say, hey, could you talk about this topic? Because you guys love doing that in my DMs, and I try to then bring them on the show, but I don't always remember. And uh, you can check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show, click on it. Bam, post, bin, share. They're all there. We'll be back, though. Emotional blackmail. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all. We're back, and we're... Wrapping up our discussion on emotional blackmail, I really want everyone to first try to see if they do some of these things. I want us to learn about us. I don't want it always to be, we're diagnosing and assessing everyone and everyone's an emotional manipulator. Like, start by looking at the ways that you do that, because that's what means most, is how are you harming people you're in a relationship with? And then, of course, looking at how others are impacting you. But love bombing was the last thing we left off on. That's basically when, it's part of the abuse cycle, honestly, and that's what traps people is, they make the good really good so as to maybe make you you ignore or get confused about how bad it can also be you know um the guilt trip we're familiar with being guilt tripped calling it out's a way to combat that there's also a new tactic i learned and this is right out of the um pickup artists' books, and uh, those are people that use power manipulation as opposed to trying to form honest, healthy relationships. They take advantage of people. And it's a concept called negging, N-E-G-G-I-N-G. There's lots of articles written about this. It's also in the Urban Dictionary. I didn't realize this was a normal word. I'd never heard of it. But negging is when a person tries to manipulate you into feeling bad about yourself. Um, Basically, it's backhanded compliments. You know, where they compare you to other people, or they'll say something really hurtful and then go, just joking, can't you take a joke? And it's like, um, jokes are never mean. If you're being mean, then you're mean. Jokes are things that make people laugh. Jokes are things that make people feel safe. So if someone's humor makes you feel bad or puts you down or anyone else in the world, they're making fun of gay people, disabled people, fat people, um, you're just mean. Calling it a joke doesn't resolve that or absolve that or mean that it's all okay, right? You can't run someone over to your car and go, just kidding. And then we're supposed to go, oh, haha, all's well, no. Joking should be relational, should feel safe, right? So be attention, pay attention to that. Backhand compliments, saying harmful things and then trying to make it okay by saying it's just a joke, no, right? Um, yeah, so okay, the and the impact is what? We feel depressed, we feel anxious, we feel confused. It's a mess. Um, So before we get to really what to do, let's just look at a couple other quick things that they'll do. Um, They'll make predictions about threats. Like, if you don't take care of me, I'll kill myself. We've heard that one before. That's a really, really unfair manipulation. And all we can say when people try to threaten possible violence on themselves or others is, I hope you don't do that, but I've made my decision. I'm sorry to hear that, but that's your choice. I know you're angry right now. And when you have a chance to talk about this again later, we can, or I will no longer buckle under your threats. Threats don't work. You have to re-empower yourself because they are trying to control and manipulate, right? And we can't decide what people do or don't do. We can only take care of ourselves. Um, They might use name calling, negative judgments. In a healthy relationship, there is no name calling, you know? But the work is about not trying to step into the battle they're trying to create. You have to stay on the outside of it. Don't step into the battle. Don't step into the boxing ring. Don't take the bait. Don't get into the topic they're wanting to get into. Say things like, okay, well, that's your opinion. Or, yeah, okay, well, that's how it looks to you. Or maybe you're right, I don't know. Don't get into battle. Don't get pulled in. Because if they can keep you in the conversation, that's how they can also confuse you. Because you have to remember that you're dealing with someone who doesn't have any better tools, you're dealing with someone who feels inadequate, you're dealing with someone who feels powerless, and their only goal is to win and to get power, and that's not healthy adult conflict. As adults, we have the same goal, we want everyone to feel good, we want this relationship to maintain itself, and so we look out for each other. But when someone's always looking out for themselves, or they're just trying to win or be correct, they've stepped outside of the relationship, and it's now transformed into something else, right? so your work is about staying focused on the topic don't let them derail you from the topic or the point what are the other things we can do don't engage someone's trying to engage you in a particular emotional response don't give it to them you also have to be confident knowing who you are knowing how you feel and not letting them confuse you by comparing putting you down backing at compliments you have to trust your gut though and that's why I say things like, if you feel like you're always walking on eggshells, if you feel like your thoughts and opinions don't matter, you're, not, you're, probably, in an emotional, uh, you're probably in an abusive relationship emotionally. And that's why it's a red flag. If you can bring it up and talk about it and say, this is how I feel, and this is how I'd rather things be, and they're open to that, then it moves into a different box of let's keep an eye on this. It's a little bit of an annoyance, but we're working through it. But if they're unwilling to work on it or they keep saying you're the problem, well, now it's moving into a deal breaker because healthy relationships are with people that are workable. They're flexible. They'll take criticism. We can talk things out, and they're always looking out for both of our interest. People will often just look out for themselves. That's not a good mindset. That means they're not thinking relationally. That means they're not really in the relationship, right? It's gonna be a rough one for you, long road ahead. We get to choose the relationships we stay in, but I want us to all get an idea of what it should look like, try to ask for that, try to create that. And some people are flexible enough to go on that road and that journey with us. Those are the people we wanna stay in relationship with. You know, those are the healthy ones. But the people that are always blaming you, it's always you, well, then exit. Say, so well, then let me resolve that issue by removing myself because I'm always the problem. But just be aware of those manip- manipulative tactics, the emotional blackmail. They hold you hostage with saying they're going to leave the relationship, right? Or they play upon your insecurities. People that love you and care about you would never do that. They don't feel good when you feel bad. But if you're in a relationship with someone of any kind where they feel good when you feel bad, they're always trying to win. Like I said, be correct. They always need to be right. They always need to be in power. Ooh, that's some narcissism. And it's going to be a very tough relationship. And that might be just enough for you to say, I got to get myself out of this one. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to glide into those DMs, courtesy of Astro Glide, lubes and lotions for everybody. Um, yep, glide into those DMs. DMs are always open on Love Line IG page. Coming up next, you're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back and we are sliding into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
2: Let's see what we got today. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Christina and uh, I'm about to turn 40. I was in a four-year relationship. We broke up about six months ago. However, that has been my longest relationship ever. Okay, Cool some people have never been in a a relationship or uh, something for four years. That's amazing. I hope you learned a lot in that. Um, I can't seem to find something super long term. Sorry. (laughs) I still have a dream to get married, maybe adopt kids at this point. I don't, uh, sorry. I'm like, I don't know why I can't read this. Uh, I still have a dream to get married and maybe adopt kids at this point. Uh, sorry, this punctuation's off. Uh, But at this point, I I haven't really been able to find anything stable. Got it. Is there a point in your life where you should just kind of accept that maybe long-term love isn't your thing? Uh, Absolutely not. There's no point in your life that you should accept anything as being not possible. Uh, Let's talk career for a second. There are amazing stories and examples, I'm kind of one of them, of people who have continually, regardless of their age, pushed forward and and gone after dreams and passions and interests and goals, uh, making major career changes, major relational changes. Listen, uh, two things. Number one, <clears throat> finding a long-term partnership is, is a numbers game. It's a, it, 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 just because it, we have to get away from the idea that it can only happen or should happen in early life. The way dating works is it's about timing. It's about who you are, at what point in your life you meet other people, and what's going on at that point in their life, and a whole lot of factors. It, love and compatibility don't operate on time or chronology. It just is what it is when it is, right? And you stumble upon it when you do. And it's not promised to happen early in life. The reason why most people have it early in life is because they've prioritized it. And also don't be, you know, don't assume that everyone who's in a partnership should be in one or in that one or is in a healthy one. It can't just be about getting and having. I want it to mean more. I want it to be about being with the right person or a right person, and it can take time. And if you find love in five years from now, you will be just as excited to have it at 45 than you were at 40. And I wouldn't want you to be like, all right, it's too late. I'm going to give up and then miss out on having it for the rest of your life. You're only 40. Okay, you have another 40 plus years ahead of you. Don't you want that to be centered in love? What if it takes 10 years and you find it at 50? Wouldn't you want 30 beautiful years of it? You're gonna give up 30 years of it because you can't have it for 40? It's kind of like a vacation. You can only have a vacation for three days a week, two weeks, should you not go because it can't be forever? No, we still go and we honor what we get when we get it. We still go on vacations later in life because we have fun at 40. Vacations still are fun at 50, still at 60. But it's like saying, should I give up on the idea of going on vacation at a certain age? Because I haven't been able will go yet or found a good one. No, all you can do is continually create the conditions around which love can occur. Stay online, keep dating, keep trying, but take the pressure off. I don't know where the idea is that it has to happen at a certain time. Back off of that. You'll be happy when you have it, when you get it. You won't be like, oh, I'm 45, I'm glad I found love, but you know what, I needed it at 40, I'm gonna pass. It doesn't work like that. Focus on other things too though. In the meantime, what else would make your life meaningful and full of joy? It can't be just about marriage and kids. Like what's going on in your career? Is it the career of your dreams? If not, focus on that as well. And if that's nailed down, focus on other hobbies. And if that's nailed down, say what kind of social relationships do I want? And if that's nailed down, say I'm still single, but I can still go out and travel and do other things in the meantime. Right. So still fully participate in your life and find joy in other things while still setting up the right conditions so that love can be found when it's when it's going to happen timing. So the only thing you can do is make sure you're not getting in your own way with it, which is what you are doing with your mindset. So dismantle that, maybe get into some therapy, but either way, dismantle that mindset that there's an age limit on all this. And fully focus on making the rest of your life joyful in the meantime. But look at what might be holding you back from dating. Are you too specific? Uh, do you have this ego fantasy list of what you think it needs to look like? Get rid of that. Give people a chance. When in doubt, go out. You have the time. You have the energy. You have the interest. Widen your scope. Set, set your parameters on your app for anyone. Be willing to date someone long distance, knowing that at some point maybe they move you know what I mean? But like people get so hung up on what they think they need that they block the possibility of it happening. So there you go, y'all. That is our show. we be back tomorrow night. So join us then. Past episodes of Loveline are over at wearechannelq.com. And if you got a question or a topic for us, drop it in our DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'd love to hear from you. You know what I mean? We got your questions. You know? Whatever you're wondering about, someone else might be as well. Spend the rest of the night focused on self-care, tons of joy and pleasure, and as much rest as possible. Be good to yourself and those around you. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.